God, no matter how true it might be. I think this drama has been really, really good at helping us see something that may be at work in us. Um, but the fact is, according to the Bible, God loves you. He does. In spite of how hard we might push back against it, in spite of the challenge that we have to really get our heads wrapped around that and receive it, he loves you. Um, and if we can come to terms with that reality, if we can come to absolutely believe that to be true, that will change our lives. I'm not kidding. It will change your life. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 3 today. Earlier in this series we talked, we began it actually by looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. It's God's prayer, God's desire for us that we could grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Like somehow be able to open our minds and our hearts to really get this, to grasp it and take hold of it and never let it go. I'm going to start reading from the middle of verse 17 all the way to 19. We're going to look at an interesting phrase that God uh, had inspired and written into this text. Ephesians 3, 17. I'm going to start at the word and. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. And here it is. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Listen to this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do we get filled to the, me- to the measure of all the fullness of God? By grasping an understanding of this love. But look at that little phrase. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Anybody here find that interesting? Paul's prayer, his desire, his heart's desire is people would know something that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something you can't know? How do you know something that goes beyond our capacity to know? That's what he's saying. What I want to say this morning is the only way that we can know this love is the work of God in us. And we're going to talk a little bit about, a little bit about how. A little bit about how. You know, the reality is, if we really want to understand that little phrase, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, we've got to understand that in the Greek language, there are a couple of words that are both translated in English into one word, no. So one, one of those Greek words speaks to what we've talked about before, essentially head knowledge. It, is, it refers to objective, factual knowledge. Two plus two equals... Who said that? Somebody said seven in the first service, too. That's crazy. Were you here? You were? No? <laughs> two plus two equals four. That's an easy one. The world is round. Chris's eyes are colorblind. <laughs> That's right. They're brown. This is just the, the basic factual knowledge that we can grasp with our intellect. That's the knowing. That's, that's one of the ways of, that we can know. But the, the other word for, in the Greek that, that, that is translated in English also to know is a deeper knowledge. It's a far more personal knowledge. It's even an intimate knowledge of knowing something that takes us to a place where we are absolutely convinced that something is true. That's why in the Old Testament, you know, it would speak of Abraham or Isaac or of Jacob or whatever, whoever those patriarchs actually were. It says he knew his wife. It was speaking of a sexual relationship, something that is that personal, that intimate, that would take a couple to a deeper level of knowing one another. This experiential knowing that comes from that kind of intimacy. And I want to tell you, my friends, this is, this is what's wrapped up here, that we would know 
we would know something that surpasses knowledge, that we would have this deep intuitive knowledge that, that takes us beyond the intellectual knowledge of objective truth, which is stated God loves you. My guess is that 99% of the people in this building know that to be true intellectually. Factually, you know it's true, but if we come to that deep, intuitive, intimate knowledge that takes root in our hearts and transforms us, that's what Paul is praying, that you would know deeply the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that just rests in your brain. A.W. Tozer, a, a great uh, writer from the 20th century, somebody's called him the evangelical mystic of the 20th century, and I kind of really like that. He writes this. I'm going to have it put up on, on, on screen. It says, we as believers in Christ, we substitute theological ideas for an arresting encounter. You get that? We substitute theological ideas for an arresting encounter of God and his love for us. Theological ideas, that's one kind of knowing. But there's something that surpasses that knowledge, and it is that time when we encounter the living God, and we are awed by his love for us, and we come to actually believe it. Remarkable stuff. Tozer also wrote this. Knowledge by acquaintance is better than mere knowledge by description. Knowledge by acquaintance is better than mere knowledge by description. Chances are there are many, many people here today who for a long time or maybe even a little bit of time have had someone like me stand up, just leave the quote for a second, please, stand up before you and describe God's love. Did you hear what I just say? By description, I tell you that God loves you. But he's saying knowledge by acquaintance with God, by the experience of God, is way better than mere knowledge by description. Tell me, my friends, when you think about that kind of phrase, where are you at with your understanding of the knowledge of God? Do you know it because someone's described it to you? Or have you encountered God so much so that you know it deeply, profoundly? You've had this intimate experience of God, and you are convinced that God loves you. That's what we're talking about. Here's another cool thought that I've, I've read about in, in preparing for this, this series. Someone has said, you know, we can believe in the truth that God is, we can believe that to be true, um, but that always leaves us with the possibility of doubt. Anybody ever kind of had that? Yeah, I believe God exists, uh, but you know, sometimes I wonder. We can believe in, in the truth that God is, but it leaves us with the possibility of doubt. But when we experience God, he becomes real to us, and we, and we become immune to the possibility of doubt. Do you get the idea? encounter God and all of a sudden doubt's not a possibility anymore because you have been awed by the reality of God and, and, and essentially what, what this is is an ex, a personal experience of God it's a profound encounter of God that I'm talking about and in that place when we have lived in the presence of the living God you can't doubt anymore you just can't you see it's this it's this experience of God that takes us from understanding the truth about God to knowing that God is real. It takes us from believing cognitively in the truth that God loves me to the experience of knowing deep in my gut that God loves me passionately. And I'm here today to ask you again, which of the two is your experience? Intellectual knowledge, knowledge by description, 
or an acquaintance with God, an experience with God, which has given you this unshakable depth of understanding that you know in your heart God loves you. Paul prayed that we would know deeply the love of Christ which surpasses objective knowledge. God wants that for you. And I want to tell you again, when you wrap your mind around that, when you come to that place of understanding, you will be changed forever. You will come to a place where you believe not only is it true, but it's also real. You get that? question then becomes very simply, how does one come to know God's love in a personal and intimate and real way? And the answer very simply is you have to experience it. You have to and so encounter the love of God that you no longer question it. Now I would like to suggest something so simple that I almost feel uh, it's too simple to build a sermon around, but I have to because of its significance, potential significance in our lives, and it is this, that we as followers of Jesus go into the presence of God often. Whether it be here on a Sunday morning or one-on-one with God in your lazy boy at home. And we make as the focus of that time literally the experiencing of the love of God. That we go daily to God and hear Him speak into our minds, but more than that, into our hearts. And we hear Him saying to us, I love you. We hear Him saying, you are precious to me. The things we spoke of last week that are dramatic and and wonderful and beautiful, but almost too much to believe. That we let God envelop us with his love as we simply sit in his presence. And this is very often not the experience of a lot of Christ followers. I don't know what yours is. Instead of going to God, there are a lot of people who stay away from God, especially one-on-one. And I want to tell you, it reflects the nature of those people's relationship with with God himself. There is a resisting to being with, which often belies a belief that God is a God of judgment, a God of condemnation, and that, yes, God is unhappy with me. And we don't run toward a God like that. As a matter of fact, we walk away from a God like that. Sometimes, you know, the reason that people do go to God is out of obligation. Well, I'm supposed to do devotions. I'm supposed to spend time with God. I have to do it. And we go to God to somehow get the Lord to be pleased with us. Even though, my friends, listen to this, because of his incredible love for us, he is already remarkably pleased with us. We just don't know it because we haven't encountered the love. Sometimes people uh, go to God to pray, and they go to God to pray in order to get things from God, to convince them of the things that they need. But listen again, such people are oblivious to the fact that because of God's immense love toward them, he already knows exactly what they need, and he's already giving them what they need, and he's going to give them what they need. And as a God of love, he would never withhold from his children what they need. Sometimes people go to God to learn, God, I want to know your scripture, I want, I, want, I want more information. And that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but sometimes we go to the Bible and we sit in the presence of God and it's all about learning stuff. And we are oblivious to the knowledge of this incredible love. We say, God, teach me things. And what all God wants to teach us is one thing, which is at the core of his heart for you, and that is, I love you. That's what I want you to know. 
says God over and over and over again in this book? See, what we're suggesting here this morning is that we go to God, and we go to God in order to experience his love. Um, to be reminded again and again and again and again and again that as we make this time about experiencing his love, we will be told from Scripture, we will be told by the presence and the, and the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, as Scripture says, God speaking, I delight in you. You sit in the presence of God, and God will say through his word, I find joy in you, right here, right now. We sit in the presence of God, and we are reminded, as we talked about last week, you are my precious child. What about this idea? That we become the prodigal son every time we meet with God one-on-one. And that he becomes the prodigal God. That every time we come, whether it be on a Sunday morning in worship or whether we're sitting in that lazy boy or whatever brand you bought, that comfy chair at home, that every time we come to God, we are the prodigal son coming back to the Father. And in that moment, we experience the, 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 the God that is represented in that Father running toward us with arms wide open, thrilled that his son or his daughter has come home. We look up and we are ready to co- confess our sin, which of course we do, but we see love in the eyes of the Father. We have a Father who, like in the story, has heard the confession of heart and doesn't even let the confession finish. He is just so incredibly thankful that his kid has come back to him. And he throws his arms of love around us and, and he says to us again, you are my child, you are my daughter, you are my son. You remember the ring and the putting on of the, of the garment? We are reinstated time and again as his own precious child. And he has so much joy in his heart because we've taken a few minutes to be with him that he has to throw a party to celebrate us in our return. Listen to me. If you don't believe that's God, you don't believe the words of Jesus. If you don't believe that's what happens in the heart of God every time you sit down to be with him and to read scripture and to be reminded of the truth of God and the truth is that he loves you, you don't believe in the God of Jesus Christ. Because that is what Jesus used to describe your father to you. Henry Nouwen is, uh, was, he, he's no longer with us, but a profound writer. And he's written a little book called The, the Life of the Beloved. And in the, that little book, he speaks of Jesus' baptism. And in Jesus' baptism, of course, the father says, This is my beloved son on whom my favor rests. On whom my favor rests. Now the translation says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I, t- I want to tell you, my friends, as we come to faith in Jesus, we, we become part of who Christ is. We are found in him. And we too become the beloved sons and daughters of God in Christ. And my friends, when we are in Jesus and God looks at us, he says, there is my child, there is my son, there is my daughter on whom my favor rests in whom I am well pleased. When we encounter God, we can hear those words. We can encounter his love. We can come to know that not only is the love of God true, but it is also real. 
who's a uh, Christian psychologist uh, slash spiritual director. A spiritual director is a person who helps people in their journey uh, with and toward God and uh, understanding what God's doing in life and, and, and identifying and growing in relationship, of course. And uh, one day he was uh, contacted by a mom who had a daughter who was in a difficult place, a teenager, uh, you know, incredibly promiscuous, involved in satanic rituals, uh, obscenely profane, and on and on and on it goes. But he said, of course I'll see this, this young woman. And she came and uh, uh, came into the reception room and he came from his office to greet her. She was dressed entirely in black. She had studs and and, and, and piercings, and she had a dog collar on and a chain that went from the collar. You get the picture. <laughs> a kid who's really struggling. And he invited her into his office. She did not acknowledge him. She just stood up and walked in. And as soon as she stood up and walked in, her mother stood up and followed her. And they all sat down. Now, for this spiritual director, this was incredibly unusual. He had never really met with such a troubled young woman before and had mom come to the session, too. So he asked the girl if it was okay that her mom was with them. Uh, and the girl said uh, these words, my mother is my best friend. She's here because I asked her to be. Um, he then noted, although the mom was incredibly uh, tr concerned about her daughter, of course, the real affection that appeared between them. Um, and he asked the young woman again, how, how is it that you're so close? And these are her words. For as long as I can remember, every night of my life at the end of the day, I have ended my day by getting into bed with my mom and snuggling. My friends, I want to tell you that girl knew she was deeply loved because she experienced her mom's love. She experienced it. Her mom didn't approve of the drug use and the promiscuity and the language and the satanic practices and all else. But somehow she realized that what her daughter needed was not lecturing, but love. Real love. My friends, I want to tell you, as odd as it might sound to some of us here today, what we need to do daily is to snuggle with God. We need to go into his presence and experience his love for us. We need to linger in that loving presence long enough to let it permeate not only our minds but our hearts until we come to the point in our lives when we are deeply convinced that he loves me. Henry Now and uh, this author, Catholic priest, um, has written these words. The real work of prayer is to become silent and listen to the voice that says good things about me. Can I say that again? The real work of prayer is to become silent and to listen to the voice that says good things about me. He suggests that we take 30 minutes a day and just listen for the still, small voice of God to speak to us through this incredible book, the Bible, telling us that we are loved until the day comes when we know it is true. And not only true, but real. 
About a year ago, I was uh, reading Psalm 90, spending days and days. I do that now, reflecting on the Psalms. By the way, you want to know an intimate relationship with God, go to the Psalms. Most underused book in the Bible, but one of the most important books in the Bible. Well, I was in Psalm, uh, Psalm 80, and at the end of that uh, chapter comes verse 19, and it says this. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. I love the beginning, by the way. Meditate on that for a week. Because it is God who turns our heart to him. You know that. Turn us again to yourself, O, God, o Lord, God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. And I started to think, what does it mean that God's face shines down upon us? Again, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've heard that phrase, the ironic blessing has it and so forth. I went to the message version of the Bible. It's a paraphrase. It's a, it's a version of the Bible that sort of unpacks the meaning without being actually literal to the original text. And there Eugene Peterson, the, the writer of that paraphrase, says instead of let your face shine down on us, it says, smile on us. Smile on us. So I said to my lazy boy, not really a lazy boy, but that's irrelevant. It's comfy. And I closed my eyes, knowing that I was in the presence of God Almighty. And I pictured his face. And I saw him smiling at me. To my mind's eye, my imagination. And you know what I did? I started to smile back. And you know what I did for the rest of the day? I had this idiotic smile on my face. And I'm telling you, all week long, I was smiling because I, know, I knew in that moment, and I knew it was real, that my God, when my God looks at me, he's not looking at me with anger or with judgment or with finger pointed. He looks at me and he smiles. <laughs> that his favor rests on me. That with me, as one who is in Christ, he is well pleased. My friends, it's no different to you. For God loves you the same way. God desires deeply that you know that when he looks at you, you bring a smile to his face. Can I suggest something? As a possibility for you that you spend a season... I don't care how long it is. I would suggest a minimum of one month. But send a, spend a season with God reflecting on Scripture which says to us in profound ways, God loves me. Last week I spent a, an entire Sunday. I'm going to have those verses put up if we could. And if you want to write them down, this is a great place to start. We spent an entire service looking at these verses trying to figure out what God thinks about us. But for example, can you go to Isaiah 43, verse 4, where it says, You are honored, I love you, and you are precious to me. And can you just dwell there for a little while? Like a week? I'm not kidding. Can you go into the presence of God in your lazy boy and sit and, and just take a moment, maybe a day on I, I love you, maybe a day on you are honored, maybe a day on you are precious to me, and let the Spirit of God profoundly speak that into your heart. Until you come to a place where you know it's not only true, but it's also real. 
You are precious to God. And as you sit there with him, and as you get silent like Henry Nouwen suggests we do, and as you listen for the voice of God, God will say to me, will say to you, you know what? Fill in your name. I do love you. I have honored you. And you are precious to me. Can you go into the presence of God during this season of reflection to Psalm 139? And remember that when you were being formed in your mother's womb, as we said last week, God was there. That he knit you together. That he saw your unformed body. And that he created you to be the person that you are. Can you meditate on that for a little while? Can you sit in his presence and think about God thinking you and just try to understand the profound love of God for the one he has very intimately and personally created? Can you go to Matthew chapter 10 and read those verses where Jesus says that God knows every hair on our heads. We are that precious to him. And as we said last week, why is that? Because he's nothing other than a doting parent who is fascinated with his child and deeply loves him and her so much so that he even counts your hairs. Live with that for a little while. In silence, let the Spirit of God convince you of something. Can you go to Zephaniah 3.17? There's a lot in that verse, but can you sit back again and just live with the phrase for a little while that the Lord rejoices over you with singing. That literally, you bring him joy. You can push back against that for a while. Maybe if you need to, go ahead. But this is the word of God. It's right. It's true. And the Lord rejoices over you with singing. He holds you in his arms and he sings songs. Because he loves you. Would you consider a season where you will do what Henry Nouwen suggests, where you go into the presence of God and you learn to be silent with him and you listen to that voice which says good things about you? There's a story told of uh, Bedouins who, of course, live in the desert in the Middle East, transient people. Um, they're people who need water to survive like we all, too, all do, but for them, there's never enough of it. They live in a desert. For them, water is always scarce. They were told one day of, of, of this incredible great waterfall cascading over the edge of a cliff and, and how that water just continued to fall. Eventually, they were taken to see this great sight and the huge amount of powerful water that was flowing over the edge of the cliff. My friends, they couldn't believe it. They literally couldn't conceptualize where all this water was coming from. They couldn't understand how it just kept coming. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Where does it all come from, they said. They couldn't believe there was that much water up there. My friends, I want to tell you that is us. We are the Bedouin. We think that God's love only comes to us in a trickle. And that it's always scarce. 
we can't conceptualize the unending, immense supply of water that continues to flow into our lives and just keeps on coming. But that, my friend, is what is true about God. And not only is it true, it is real. So, can I ask you to dare to believe, and I mean that, can I ask you to dare to believe that this love of God for you is real? Can I ask you to go daily into God's presence and just soak in that love, bask in that love, snuggle with your God? And let him convince you and speak into your lives and tell you over and over and over again until you know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Let me pray. God, it's easy to, um, oh, it's so easy to struggle to believe these things. Um, but Lord, your word says that this love, it's in your heart for us, it's real, it's true, and it's for us just to listen to your word and to allow your spirit to bring that word to life as we sit in your presence. So much so that we not only encounter you, but we encounter your love, and through encountering your love, we come to a place where we are convinced that we are loved by God. Father, again, I pray for these people gathered here. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that by your Spirit you will turn all of our hearts again to you. And that through the ministry of this word, as we simply take time to be with you and to snuggle with you, to bask in your love, to listen in quietness, that, Father, we will come to that place where we will deeply and profoundly and intimately not only know you, but know your love. So much so that we will believe in a love that surpasses knowledge. God, do this work in us. A work which will transform us and our relationship with you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
not only as people who are loved by God, but as people who are then ready in response to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Go from this place as lovers of God to live your life for Him. Take a moment to say grace so we can all eat quickly. God, thank you for this day, for this place, this church, this love. Be with us as we gather for a meal. Thank you for the food. Bless the ministry that we are celebrating. Be with us, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.